We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Starting this night off with the intro that everybody does not like. We get so much negative feedback about that intro. People Which only hate, fuels. People hate quartets, I guess. So it's Bar- like, you know what? Quartets. We're, we're going to play it. <laughs> Well, so that so that all the people who hate it, they have an opportunity to grow in virtue. Mm. You're welcome. You are welcome. All of you. I'm excited about this whiskey. Yeah. I'm, okay. I uh, can tell. Yes. I am also. Uh, so I'm Adam Minahan here with David Niles sitting Hello. in the studio. We have uh, Mr. Jim Spencer here with us this evening. Juan is busy getting his base, or not his baseboards, his his flooring done in his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done a phenomenal job remodeling his whole house. He really has. Uh, he just finished his uh, fireplace, which was... Yeah, he tiled his just, fireplace. It looks great. looks awesome. So he's doing that this evening. Dave, we, we got back from Ireland, the Ireland pilgrimage. It was a huge success. Oh, man. Ireland was so great. It was uh, such a fun... Like I've never been on a pilgrimage before. That was my first pilgrimage uh-huh. to go yeah. on. Um, I... Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, obviously, Father having Father Sean Donovan as our um, spiritual father, our spiritual director yep. of the pilgrimage, was a huge bonus and mm-hmm. a huge uh, benefit to the pilgrimage. But the people that we we went with were just absolutely amazing. It was it was yeah. just a great. We all like um, really came together as a just a, a small little community. Yeah, I like the size of the the number of people we had. It was really awesome. I think that was really one of my fit. I think that was my favorite thing of the pilgrimage was getting to know the people who went with us, mm-hmm. you know, develop some real friendships. Right. Um, so, in fact, uh, one of the guys is hopefully going to, we're going to meet up with here in a few more months as he's passing. Passing through. Passing through. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get to see Christian again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just really great to be traveling together, you know, with this group. of We had such a great group. Mm-hmm. But Ireland was just beautiful. Right. The people were incredible. Um, they all thought it was amazing that we brought pipes to yes, smoke. That's right. Yes. Um, Which I didn't expect. Did not expect that. Uh, we had wonderful weather. Everybody was very excited. They were ready to figure out what, what our next pilgrimage is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you go to selectinternationaltours.com slash the Catholic Man Show, you can sign up for to be notified. We're thinking Holy Land. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking Holy Land. We're thinking Ho- Holy Land, then Rome, then Poland. In that order. In that order. So, um, go check it out. So, anyway, this evening we are having a the newest edition of whiskeys brought to you by my favorite Highland uh, distillery, mm-hmm. the uh, Dalmore 14 Year. Okay, so the uh, Dalmore 14 is um, it's a 
it's a matured in American white oak, but and then also Pedro Jaime's sherry casks. I was gonna ask, is it finished in sherry or or oloroso? Because you can kind of see it's got a little Jimenez. red. Jimenez, Jimenez. I'm sorry, I don't think I said that right. Okay. Jimenez. Yeah, there you go. But it's got a red color to it, a little bit. You know, it's got right. just that hint. So, so you what, can kind of tell. What um, my understanding is, is after, um, I think twelve years, what they do is they take forty to sixty percent of of uh, the whiskey out. Okay. Then input that into these sherry casks, age that for approximately two years, and then blend it back together. Hmm. Have a reunion. Yes. So it's the fourteen. It's the newest edition. They just came out with it uh, fall this year. The price point on it is about eight, uh, ninety dollars. But Dalmore is Dalmore expensive. is more expensive. I mean, Dalmore is just expensive. But it, but everything is top notch, right? From them, their distiller uh, is Greg Glass, and then also Richard Patterson, who's AKA known as the Nose. Right. He like single handedly has made Dalmore what it is today, uh, with his presentation and just yeah. being able to. Uh, He's got a good marketing right uh, game going on. That's right. So. Um, Okay, so but also the the whiskey really is fantastic. Well, Dalmore. it has to be, otherwise yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't thrive like it does, like right. it has. So we're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Cheers. Cheers to Jesus. So the aroma says it's warm honey, dates, orange mm-hmm. zest, uh, r- rich raisins, and allspice. Yep. On the palate, it says fig, figs, dates, toasted hazelnuts, roasted coffee, and maple syrup. Finishing with a dark fruit return, licorice, marmalade, and depths of coca. Okay. I definitely get fruit. I definitely get the raisins uh, on the nose. How is it? Mm. A discerning look upon your face. That is very good. I'll be the judge of that. That's exquisite. It's very complex. There's a lot of flavor. It is. There's very little bite. Uh, the wow, you're right. The um, the finish. How is, do they do that? Is just lingering. It just stays with you. It does not dissipate. I mean, it's it's quickly. 44% alcohol. How do they get it to go down with? No, I, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. It's just delicious. Chemistry is so hard. Yeah, it's just delicious. Do you even know what a mole is? I don't remember. Yeah, it's it's an animal that normally is underground and mm. wrecks your yard. That explains why I did not do well in high school chemistry. Yeah, <laughs> something totally different. <laughs> so it's absolutely well, yummy scale, Jim. It hits the yummy scale. It hits the yummy it scale. It's the yummy scale. It's, it's registering on the yummy sc- on the yummy scale, people. So yeah, he says he can't appreciate all, all that's going on. It is. If and it's not a peated whiskey, obviously, so it's not going to be harsh. Mm. It is just a wow. lovely companion, is what it is. That is just delightful, isn't it? It is. But I wouldn't expect anything less. I mean, anything that you bring that you buy from Dalmore, I really would like to try their cigar cigar malt. Mm, me too. But it's like three hundred ninety yeah, bucks. Got like, yeah. Not only does it have like hints of cherry, but also like cream, mm-hmm. uh, like almost like there's a whipped cream flavor to it. Mm. Not the longest finish, but that's also because it's um, doesn't have an alcohol bite. You know, but so, it does stay with you, right? But 
Um, you know, if you if you get a more if you get a younger, this is 14 years old, right? So mm-hmm. if you get a younger whiskey that's still mm-hmm. got more of a rough edge on it, that's going to naturally lend itself to a longer finish. Plus, the Dalmore bottle is just absolutely gorgeous. The stag head, With the stag, yeah, um, it just is great. Anyway, so we also have. Let's see what else. What what else is going on? You were sick last week. Yeah, so. I was a little sick. So it's good to have you back. Not sick now. Um, we're, we're, you know, we have se- several conferences that we we've got the, scheduled. We got the man show coming, the camp out coming up this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's just a crazy. This is a crazy week, really. Yeah. So if you're when you're listening to this, we're actually be on the camp out. Yeah. Uh, once a year, we have a Catholic man show camp out where we have guys come over from all over the all over the U.S. Um, hopefully, the world someday. But uh, to the U.S. Join. is is part of the world, right? So, um, and then we go to Clear Creek Abbey, and we pray with the monks, we eat with the monks, we we camp, we camp, we we throw axes, uh, cigar rolling, we forge steel, yeah, all the fun stuff. How many people? I think we have sixty, uh, approximately sixty. There have been a few that have dropped out, but approximately sixty. It's supposed to be uh, gorgeous weather, so really looking forward to that. Uh, we've been uh, scheduling quite a few different uh, conferences and things. That I was just looking up. at the weather to see what the, what's going to be for the camp out. Mm-hmm. And it's a 100% chance of rain for the next five days. And then I realized, oh, it's still in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Um, but we, we're, we're going to Phoenix in February, and then we're going up to the northeast uh, in New England in Phoenix in March. February is always a treat. Right. In March, um, we also uh, may be going, found out we may be going to Michigan in May. Nice. Um, and we're going to Stillwater, Oklahoma, the Stillwater, Oklahoma, uh, in, uh, in November to talk about our book with our wives. The Lord will lead us by Stillwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll be very, that'll be uh, a lot of fun. Uh, if you don't know, we have a new book. Um, Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place, EssentialPress.com, for for those who are looking to If you want to make your house, your home holy, a holy place, right. uh, maybe you don't. This is not the podcast for you, if, if that's what you're thinking. But if you do, uh, you should get our book, because mm-hmm. that's what we talk about. Jude, shout out to my uh, second oldest son, Jude. He served his first mass He killed today. it today. Oh, he killed it. He, was, he did a great job. Uh, he he really enjoyed it. And it was really cool because Luke, my oldest, was serving mass with him. Mm-hmm. So there was you know just the camaraderie that they had together, um, doing it, and then you know just being able to see Luke and sh- help Jude and Jude carrying out what his role is. It was, right. it was awesome. Yeah, he looked like a pro. He he takes it very seriously. Mm-hmm. One thing about my boys is like when they're into something, they take it very seriously. I like it. I don't know where they get that from. Probably their mother. Probably, but uh, so yeah. Shout out, shout out to Jude. Um, yeah. So, what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, let's. I just want to recap about the pilgrimage a little bit more. What was okay. your favorite thing? Oh man! So Saint Saint Col- Coleman's Cathedral was absolutely Saint Coleman's gorgeous. Cathedral was, was absolutely incredible. gorgeous. Uh, being able to uh, have mass at Our Lady of Knock was just incredible. Yeah, the Teeling Distillery was my favorite. Uh, we need, oh, let's talk about that on the other side of the break. I want to give a I want to give a proper proper shout out to Teeling. Okay, we'll do that. We'll be right back.
whether you want to pray a daily holy hour or you want to hit up adoration once a week, we have a guide that is designed to help you show up and open yourself to Christ. It's downloadable and it's mobile friendly. Go to xs90.com slash tcms. That's tcms for the Catholic Man Show. xs90.com slash tcms for a downloadable mobile friendly guide on how to make a holy hour. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan and Jimbo Baggins. We were in Ireland. You guys know that. We've talked about it for a long time. We saw many, many beautiful churches. Unfortunately, a lot of the churches in Ireland were like many of the beautiful churches in America, how they used to be more beautiful until the nutheads in the 70s and 80s decided that, like, this church is just too pretty. We need to make it less pretty. Let's get rid of this beautiful stuff and put some ugly crap in here. There. Uh, <laughs> it, like, I don't know if that's exactly what they thought, but, you know, it seems like that's what they were thinking when they did the stuff that they did. Um, and that's rampant, you know, in America. And shocker, the same thing happened over there in a lot of cases. St. Coleman's Cathedral, praise God, is a wonderful exception. Um but if they harm St. Coleman's... We told the Ir- the people of Ireland already. said, like, if modernists even touch St. Coleman's Cathedral... We will burn Ireland to the ground. We burn Ireland to the ground. The whole thing. The whole thing. We're burning. We took a solemn oath. Yeah. We, so. we like, like cut our arms and stuff. It was a, we did a, not like do a that. Blood, a blood oath sort no. of thing. But you didn't do it? No. <laughs> no one did. Mine got infected. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but, um, so we also went to a lot of distilleries while we were there. That was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the distill, the distillery tradition in Ireland is very, very old, just like the Catholic tradition and in, in like kind of similar that it was, uh, suppressed for a while. Now in with whiskey, it wasn't, you know, like it was mainly oppression. It was the U.S. The the U.S. had (laughs) prohibition. And we were buying the vast, you know, the biggest uh, portion of all their whiskey. And so they just couldn't stay in business. Um, and so world economic basically man. all of them closed. The, there were three that didn't, that they had to form together. Uh, Jameson was one of them. I don't remember the other two. Um, oh, Powers. Powers. And then uh, another one that's not as o- Odell or I, yeah. something. I don't remember. The other one was not well known, but they came together to be form Middleton. Middleton Distilling, uh, but anyway, so we were going around. The last one we went to was Teeling, mm-hmm. which we've had on the show. We have had it on the show. It was really good. It's a new, a newer one in 2019. However, it's also one one of the oldest ones in this particular area of of Ireland that has a lot of tradition for distilling. And Teeling Distillery has been around for a long time, right? But that is Mister Teeling, who is. You know, that's a separate company from his son's Teeling, mm-hmm. what you think of Teeling Whiskey. Mm-hmm. Teeling Irish Whiskey is actually not exactly related to mm-hmm. the Teeling that's been around. Uh, but Mr. Teeling was there. He mm-hmm. was such an awesome guy mm-hmm. when we got there. I mean, this guy's like a business tycoon. I don't know if he's, you know, just multi-multi-millionaire or a billionaire. I don't know, like, what level of... of air he is. Right. But um, he was so down-to-earth and just... 
gave us a little bit of a he, tour. He didn't know who we were, but he was just so kind and happy to see us and said, oh, let me... Dude, let me. are you kidding me? He was like, those are the Catholic Mancho guys. Yeah, that's exactly what he was like. But he said, let me start your tour for you. You know, this guy, he could be doing anything he wants, and he's sitting there leading tours for the peons. Mm-hmm. It was just really great to see, and he just loved you could tell he what loved he was it. doing. He just was. He just loved his life. Mm-hmm. So we we get there. We're on the tour. We watch a short video, like you do at basically every all of the mm-hmm. tours. Uh, it just gives a little bit of information about the distillery from usually from the owner. The ex, the one thing that was exceptional about Teeling was that in their opening video, like montage, uh, they were showing shots of Dublin where they're located. And, you know, oh, here's this building. Here's some tradition, like some of the traditional things about Dublin and whiskey. And then, boom, kind of out of nowhere, here's the sacred heart of Jesus back to whiskey. And that, when I saw, when they put the sacred heart in their introductory video, everybody who goes on a tour of Teeling is going to, they're going to see this video. And the people of this distillery were in, in the video when they're thinking, what are we about? They put the Sacred Heart in there. And so, just like when we were going around, if we, they have Guinness everywhere, but if they have Murphy's at a place in Ireland, as a Catholic, that's what you order, because that's the Catholic, Mm -hmm. it's the Catholic Guinness. So, I want to promote Teeling as the Catholic, the real Catholic Irish Irish whiskey, because uh, it was, and there were other things too, some of the things Mr. Teeling said, he brought up about like, oh, this historically this distillery people thought was catholic but it wasn't you know right. and stuff like that so anyway shout out to teelings if you if you like you're really looking for the catholic whiskey of ireland look no further it was great yeah what are we talking about tonight tonight we are going to be talking about the theology of the body okay uh we've talked about it before a long long time ago on the show uh episode 100 and 101 did you look it up no i oh. just remember you actually just remember that. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is impressive. With Father uh, Chris Petrashko. Okay. I remember that guy. He was awesome. Mm-hmm. Great Canadian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a good Polish man. I sent him some... Krupnik. I mailed him some Krupnik, yeah. And he was wanting me to send him more, but I was like, look, it's expensive to send to you in <laughs> yeah. Canada. Also, I make it. we make it ourselves and we're running low. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You come on down, and I'll give you some. It had to do more with uh, our quantity, more than it had to do with how much. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, um, I think that most people are pretty have at least heard of the theology of the body. Hopefully, you're listening to this right now, saying to yourself, I know everything about the theology of the body. Hopefully, Hopefully, you do, because it really is one of those things that changes the way you look at life, look at who you are as a person, and... When you know who you are as a person, you understand your relationship to God better. It's going to influence your prayer life. It's going to certainly influence your relationships, whether it's with your spouse, friends, coworkers, anybody. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things that is foundational. It's fundamental to understanding. Um, when you get into this, you realize, as a man, the most important question you can ask yourself is, what does it mean to be a man? Mm-hmm. And if things were crazy in the 80s when Pope St. John Paul II was delivering these Wednesday audience addresses and delivering this theology of the body for the first time, we need it more today than ever. 
Yeah, I think it was just a, it, it was just such foresight on on JP2's part, right? Is that uh-huh. he understood that there was a culture of death. The end of death. Now, I don't know if he actually understood how far we were going to take it, but maybe he he did have the the foresight to see this is where we were t- taking it. Right. Obviously, the end of the culture of death is death. Right? That's this, a shocker, isn't right? it? Right. The so it only makes sense for the culture of death to go after the thing that brings new life, mm-hmm. namely man and wife uh, in matrimony. You know, namely the the human person. Right. And so, if the culture of death can attack marriage, attack and, and confuse people on who what is man and what is woman, then they're going to win because this, these things are what bring about new life. Right. And so, for him to be able to see this, for him to be able to say. Um, you know, after uh, the wars, after, you know, the, the chaos of the early 60s, and for him to say, like, I see what they're attacking, and it's not the trickle-down effects of this have not happened yet, but if, they, if we do not get this right, everything will collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, was just genius on his part, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to the garden. You know, uh, man failing to understand who he was as a creature, in relationship to God, I mean this—it's the original. This is the original sin. Uh, yeah. Did you know that? So put broadly. Yeah. So when it's talking about the biblical knowing of, of one another, like when when Adam knew, knew Eve, his wife Eve. Yeah. That knew is the same word that that Jesus uses when he says when he talks about uh, eternal life that you will know God. Hmm. I did know that. Like how phenomenal! Like how crazy is that? So the the knowing of. Adam and Eve when they became one, mm-hmm. which is like a sharing of personhood, right? Right, like that the two becoming one. You know, you know, sort of like oh, I see you. There's one thing like oh, I see you, and then sort of and this is stupid Avatar. I shouldn't even be doing it. The movie Avatar. That's what they what say. Like doing? oh, I see you. And, sorry, we'll just come. I'm going to come up with a different analogy. Yeah, we're going to edit this out. Thank you, please. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to know somebody in the biblical sense. It's not just a euphemism. It actually, no, it's like, no, it means that to like actually know them, mm-hmm. you know, to have shared your person with them and for them to have given themselves to you that you just like, oh, I've seen inside of them. I like, I know who they are. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus uses that same word mm-hmm. to know, like when he's talking about, and this is what I want to bring for eternal life, that you may know God. Right, not and the shocking thing is not that we would be able to give ourselves to him in heaven, but that he, who is the divine, would deign to stoop to give himself to us. Right. You know, and lift us, elevate us to such, uh, I mean, the dignity that it bestows upon us is immeasurable, mm-hmm. un- unfathomable, really. Right. So I think that the term theology of the body is a little bit confusing for some people in the beginning. Because uh, you might think, well, theology means the study of God. So mm-hmm. how, how is the body going to be the study of God? And that's, I think, a very good question. Um, the, a good response to that is, well, we're made in his image. Okay, so he made us the way we are in his image. There's so, a God-man. So by, right, by look, okay, and that's one thing that John Paul II likes to say. He says, through the fact that the word of God became flesh, the theology of the body entered through the main door. So the fact that Christ took on flesh. I cannot believe he ripped me off on that. Dude, 
Like it gets worse. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want to tell you, right? Like one this of the early into it, the episode. He uh, he totally rips off. He's that. plagiarism heavy on Adam Minahan. I'm just gonna let you know. Well, so brace yourself. I don't even know how. Yeah, I don't know about this. You know, take the break. I'll recoup. Stew over it. Yeah, I'll recoup. All right, we'll be we'll- right back. For the last 35 years, Select International Tours has been in the business of helping people plan and enjoy their pilgrim trips. That's why here at the Catholic Command Show, we only use Select International Tours. Go to selectinternationaltours.com slash Show and sign up for our email list so you know when we will be taking our next pilgrimage. We're already going to Ireland. We're planning our next trip right now. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a trip of a lifetime. Go to selectinternationaltours.com slash Show. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Sipping on a little bit of Dalmore aged 14-year Scotch whiskey. Man, it's sitting well on me. It is very, very good. Uh, it's their is newest. It, I think Jim thinks it's getting yummier. Yeah, it's going it's climbing up. the yummy scale. A good whiskey does that. Yeah. It's their newest uh, release. It's only uh, for the U.S. as well, the U.S. market. So if you are one of our listeners outside of the U.S., I apologize. but you, you We are sorry. You cannot But you imbibe. should visit. You should visit. Come hang out with us. So we're talking about the theology of the body. We're talking about JP2. One of the things outside of the Christopher West CDs or cassettes, depending on how old yeah. you are. Um, Ugh, he listened to Christopher West on CD. Yeah. <laughs> um, Modernists. The re- yeah. <laughs> Technology. Um, the, my main intro- introduction to theology of the body, I, I did listen to him. Some of them on uh-huh. Christopher West CDs, but I wasn't really engaged. My main uh, introduction to that was our our um, Friday morning men's group that we have. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Well, that's how we we actually well we didn't get started that way, but yeah, we so, slowly. It took us several years. Well, there's 129 Wednesday audiences, right? Uh, and so I think is it 26 or 29? 129. Yeah, 129. And so if we meet once a week, and we didn't meet every single week. Like, right, you know, and sometimes we would take one audience and spread and it out over two weeks. Right. Um, so, but it, this is a great. These are great texts. They're free. You can get them, all, you know, from off the Vatican website. You, where you and four or five, six other guys can get together in the morning and read one of the Wednesday audiences and right. really like stew and chew on it. Um, There's another book written by Pope Saint John Paul II called Love and Responsibility. He actually put mm-hmm. out as when he was still a cardinal. Um, the thing that he wanted to do, though, with his Wednesday audience addresses is what he called develop an adequate anthropology. So in his love and responsibility, he kind of jumps right to the meat. Um, but with these audience audiences, he wanted to first step back and say, who is man? Before he jumps into how should man, what is man for, you know, how should he behave? Another great resource I got to throw out there from the peepster, Only the Lover Sings. Mm, I haven't read that one. A great, great. Love uh, the title, though. Yeah. Great title. Um, and it's so beautiful, right? So if, if you think about this in the way of only the lover sings or only the lover dances, so to speak, like mm-hmm. you can learn how to dance. I think actually Christopher West uses this as an example in one of his talks. Um, okay. But you can learn how to dance. 
right? So you can you can with your partner, you can do without the music, you can go one, two, three, one, two, three, uh-huh. one, and you can learn how to dance. Uh, but you're not you're, you're restricted within the the dance uh, formulaic. Um, formula of the steps, dance the steps, steps. Uh, until you start hearing the music and then the music provides this freedom uh, right. to, to be able to dance to where it's like oh no I can't step out of this because the music uh, orchestrates and like uh, animates our, our dance mm-hmm. and so you can uh, if you're just like going through the one two three you're like well why can't I step over here it, like I, I could do that no 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 you can't once you hear the music because the music provides this freedom um, yeah. Uh, to, to to be able to, to dance, and so this is like he goes into this whole idea of understanding. Like this is the un- this is the understanding of we're not Catholics are not the no like you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. We're so, not a religion of no. We're a, a religion of very strong yeses. Right, and and to provide truth. this freedom. Right. Um, to be able to dance. Right. To be able to sing. Mm-hmm. Only the lover sings. And you need those rules so that you can be free. Right. Same, same with music. You know, it's like you sit down. If you don't know anything about the piano, you sit down. Like, don't, oh, don't, don't hamper me with the rules of music. Let me just play. Just bang. Right. But it's only when you've studied theory, studied all the rules, and mastered the rules that you can sit down at the piano and truly be free. Right. To play music to play. at will, just right. as it comes and this to is what, you. This, right? is the, this is the whole idea that he has. Right. Anyway. I didn't so, even get on that, that topic. That's okay. But it's just, that's okay. Just um, a beautiful thought. So just back to, I just want to backtrack a little bit to okay. the idea of Christ taking on flesh and how important that is, okay? Mm-hmm. The most important, like the line that John Paul II loves the most, he says it the most times, is Christ fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. I mean, that's like, if you ponder that, there's a lot going on there. That I mean, Christ, if, I, if I came up with that, that's probably the only thing I would say. Yeah. But if you mean like... If I constructed that sentence... You'd I, say it over and over yeah. again. I yeah. mean, that would, be, that would be my cheers to everybody. I mean, it essentially is the gospel, right? right. Um, you know, human beings have existed, and then Christ takes on our flesh, and he shows us... He's the perfect man. He shows us how to live. He shows us what we're for, you know, shows us everything about get the gift of self... Mm-hmm. Um, about a life of service um, and joy, um, f- feasting and fasting. I mean, he he just lives this beautiful life um, as this gospel, right, and gives it to us. Um, but one thing that it's important to understand is that, and this is something we know, but I think some of these realities are so basic and fundamental, we don't actually take time to like ponder them and their significance, that human mm. beings are body-soul composites. We're physical and spiritual, okay? So there is a spiritual reality here, right here in your chair, Adam, that is Adam Minahan. Mm-hmm. And your body... It animates my body, actually. It does animate your body, but your body is what reveals the spiritual, okay? So there is a spiritual reality being revealed by your physical reality, okay? It's not like a separate deal. They are to get... We are a one composite being. We're not... We have two, we have, you know, like have these different elements to us. But um, if you just think about that, oh, I have, a, I'm a spirit that's being revealed in my body. John Paul says the body and it alone is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It's been created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the mystery hidden in God from eternity, and thus to be a sign from it, a sign of it. 
So this is why it's important to have a theology of the body, because the body isn't just like, oh, the crap we have to live in until we can free ourselves and go to heaven, right? No, no, no. We are, we are, our bodies are meant to reveal the beauty, to reveal the divine. We are made in that divine image. And so our bodies have this massive and incredible capacity to reveal this goodness and this truth about ourselves to the world and to each other. Mm-hmm. So um, as Catholics, I think this is one of our strong suits that we really need to shout more from, from the rooftops that um, the body is good, right? That sexuality is, is good. Um, there's so much Puritanism steeped in our culture, I think, especially here in America. Well, that's because we were founded with... We, right, based off of but you, but you'd think that like oh but look how look how sexualized we are but it's really just it's just the flip side of puritanism right uh, the, those puritan roots it's really the extremes of either or exactly they they go very deep so I want to talk about three things today three okay. original states of being there are more that there are more than these three but I want to talk about original solitude original unity and original nakedness okay. Um, because they tell us a lot about who we are. So let's talk about original solitude. Um, basically, the whole teaching of theology of the theology of the body comes from the second chapter of Genesis. Yeah, and, and mean, it's really just the very one, end. It's a, and it's basically one verse. Like, well, a lot of it does come from, or from like 23. That? Uh, that, 223? Uh, for this reason, a man leaves his father and his mother yeah. and, and cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Um, but uh, he does pull from other things. So, for instance... In, Original solitude, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. Okay, so God knew, obviously, that man is made for communion, right? So what does he do? He creates the animals, brings the animals to Adam. It's not that God's trying to figure out. He's trying to show Adam who he is. He's trying to reveal Adam to himself by bringing him animals, because all of them prove to be an unsuitable partner for him. He gives them names, but then... He realizes in that moment, Adam does, that he is alone. Mm-hmm. And so what does that do? Uh, it kind of pulls him out of creation. He realizes that, oh, here's, here's all the things that have been created. I'm not one of them. You know, not that he wasn't created. Obviously, he was. But he realized that he was something higher than them. Um, all the animals have bodies, right? Mm-hmm. But only the human body reveals a person. So none of the animals reveal, you know, their bodies don't have personhood. So right. um, his, his solitude revealed to himself his self. Okay, so... In or, the, the, or even the lack of that was happening. Right. Well, well, it revealed a lack of self in the, other, in the, the animals, animal. but it, it was only because now he sees these other animals... That he realizes that... Oh, I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. I am, I have personhood, right? I have this other gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that original solitude is, is really, really key for Adam realizing who he is. Well, not only realizing who he is, but realizing who God is. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because, I mean, because this is, a, that we're all, we're all made for communion, but right. communion even with God and what is God, but a communion He's of persons. A divine communion of persons. That's right. right. That's right. So uh, not only, I mean, I think, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but I think that the purpose of that was not only to reveal, it was a twofold purpose, not only to reveal that 
uh, who he was, but also to give him a glimpse of who his creator is. Sure. I think I would say it's uh, more about preparing him for the next the, next, the next big reveal right. yeah, yeah. that God had up his sleeve. Uh, because in that book, Achadia uh, or Acedia, um, who that we we did an episode on it uh, Snell. Six, six months ago. Professor Snell, Snell. Um, R. L. Really good chapter in there about the, this creation story. It was it was really, really yeah. well done. Talking about this specifically about Adam's original solitude. Um, highly recommend yeah. that book. Mm-hmm. It's uh, really, the metaphysics of. Uh, gosh, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Cedia, yeah. metaphysics of beauty or something like that. Meta- metaphysics of something. Yeah. You'll get Go there. Check that out. You'll get there. Yeah. Okay, so we'll we'll uh, talk about original unity on the other side of the break. We'll okay. be right back. The hosts of the Catholic Man Show have produced a practical, helpful, and spiritual uplifting book that helps parents make the connection between church and the domestic church. Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place reminds every Catholic family of their daily duties, responsibilities, and privileges to help each other become saints. That endorsement is from Father Leo Padalingha. Go check out our new book from Ascension Press. You can go to ascensionpress.com or just Google Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place. Pick one up for you, for your family, for your friends. And if you enjoyed it, make sure to leave a review so that way others can be made aware of the book as well. We want to thank Father Leo Padalinghug for his endorsement of our book, Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I am David Niles, here with Adam Minahan. We're talking about the theology of the body. You were a little abrasive there. You know, I like to mix it up. Okay. Abrasive is a negative word. Staccato. I was staccato, okay? Don't be so negative. Are we talking about unity? Oh, you're oppressing me with your words. Anyway, so we're talking about, we talked about original solitude, how it's important for Adam to have felt this moment of aloneness, how he realized he's alone in the world because he's a person. He's apart from the animals, made him sacred in that way, right? He's sacred. He's set apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so the n- holy, the next uh, like phase of humanity, that's not John Paul II's word, but um, is this original unity that takes place in Genesis chapter two. Okay. And so God takes man, alas, puts him into a deep sleep. Um, and interesting, interestingly, the word that is used for sleep in the original text is ecstasis, which is the same word we get from ecstasy. Eros. Uh, but literally it means like to, to come out of oneself. Hmm. And so John Paul II speculates that it's almost as if God has returned Adam to a state of non-being, which is like a deep rabbit hole for another day that's really way beyond my understanding, but um, mm. point of fact, interesting point of fact, what a speculation that John Paul II makes. But um, he also says that when he went to sleep, it was like Adam certainly did it with the anticipation of waking up with... To a new? To a, a partner. Because, you know, God says, I, I will make a partner, a helper suitable for him. Um, and, and let's just talk about the word helper real quick. Okay. Okay, because some people are like, oh, you know, this is not... 
someone like, oh, to light your pipe for you and bring you a beer, you know, not that's not the kind of help. Beyond this, every time that word helper is used in the Bible, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this word for that's used, you know, to refer to the woman, to Eve, a helper, is um, some like divine help. Okay, because every other time this word's used, it means the Holy Spirit. So it's, there's really a lot of dignity in 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 the word helper. I will make a helper fit for him, um, because it's the same word that will be used for the Holy Spirit throughout the rest of the Bible. Um, so. When he awakes, what does he do? He sees Eve. First of all, Eve is taken from the rib, not the head, not the foot, right? So um, to show that she is equal to Adam. She's not below him. She's not above him, that her dignity is equal. And this is interesting because only after woman is created, when it says man, the word man has appeared many times in the creation accounts. Up until this point, it's always just the generic man, like race of man. Mm-hmm. Only after Eve is born does Adam take on, like, a gendered identity, okay? Um, not that he wasn't male before. So it is a social construct. No, <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, but his, you can just imagine, you know, he's been, like, looking at all these animals, longing for intimacy, longing to, like, what am I made for? It's not this bird, it's not the cattle, it's not, you know... Just, but this, just a yearning. Mm-hmm. And then he wakes up and sees Eve. Alas. Alas. Bone of my bone. Flesh and flesh of my, of my flesh. flesh. I mean, wouldn't you love to have been there for that moment and just to hear like the joy and, you know, at this revelation. Um, and, and because if you think about it, Adam must have been a little confused. He's looking at his body. A man's body does not make sense on its own. It doesn't. Um, it only makes sense if there is a woman's body. Because they go together, right? I mean, like, once again, these are those basic things that we you know, probably don't ponder very often. But Adam, by himself, he's thinking like, what the heck is up with me? I don't make any sense. I'm made for communion. I mean, it's something that he would have known. Uh, so, um, it's important, though, that we're not two different types of humanity, right? It's not like, oh, there's a female humanity and a male humanity. We have, there's one humanity, just these different ways of being human. Um, it kind of reminds me of in the Trinity, you know, there's all these different persons, perfect unity, perfect distinction. Okay, so we have the same thing in the human race. We have, there's perfect unity in our humanness, mm-hmm. but there's also a perfect distinction between male and female. There's a lot of crossover between the Trinity, and humanity in this creation account. Yeah, I agree. Um, So the point is, though, that this call to fruitful nuptial love is stamped into the very body of Adam. Um, We And so this is like the really great part is that we as men literally are God's gift to women. We It's true, guys. We actually are God's gift to women. So you can go tell your wife. Also reciprocal. You're welcome. Well, obviously, they're God's gift to us. Yeah, He made them for us to be a helper. <laughs> I mean, like, that's, in, that's pretty clear in the story. Right. Um, but uh, this, this, to me, this was like a profound thing, is that man, 
this is a, this is a quote. Okay, man becomes an image of God not so much in the moment of solitude as in the moment of communion. He is, in fact, from the beginning, not only an image in which the solitude of one person who rules the world mirrors itself, but also and essentially the image of an inscrutable divine communion of persons. So this is like the main way. How is it that humanity is made in the image of God? Is that we're made as a communion of persons, right? That just like in the Trinity, you have the Father who pours out love on the Son, you know, constantly uh, giving him being. Mm -hmm. When the Son returns that love, and the love between them is the Holy Spirit, right? That you have the man and the woman loving each other, reciprocating the love that it becomes a third person as well. Is this where you want to go into contraception? Do we want to do that in this episode? No, we'll have to. We can do contraception in another, another episode. It's bad. It's bad. You can't do it. It's always wrong. It's intrin- Don't contracept, or you go to hell. It's okay. Intrinsically evil. There, we covered it. Um, so, marriage for a long time was actually referred to as the primordial sacrament because it's so, from the beginning. Again, that's what there was. Again, it's the life. It it brings about life, mm-hmm. which is why uh, in the culture of death, you target what brings about life. Right. So, just as another quick note, it's important to say we are made in God's image. God is not made in our image. Okay, um, that is also like the first sin. It is. You're right. Isn't that funny how things keep happening over and over and over again? Right. When okay. we say no longer say Thy will be done, but My will be done. When pride takes it sets in, uh-huh. and that's that that becomes obviously that was the first the first sin. And, and that always is uh, the the root of every heresy. That's the root of every every schism is the form, forming of uh, God to us instead of us to God. Correct. Yeah. So this idea of original unity is so important because it's the first vocation. Okay. It's when when Adam sees Eve, he isn't just saying, "Oh, thank God, I I can like satisfy this urge for communion." You know, like. But now he knew who, what he was for. He didn't, his existence didn't make sense to him until he saw Eve. Which also revealed more about God to him. Correct. That's exactly correct. So, uh, you know, now he knew, like, yes, you are what I'm for. Like, I belong to you. Right. So it's, it's just, it's really, really great. So it's, let's... It's beautiful how God, the creator, creates all these things of mm-hmm. beauty... In order that his creation will be oriented back to himself. To himself. Eros. Eros. And you know what? It doesn't even seem hard for him, okay? <laughs> he seems like he's doing it pretty effortlessly. Okay, so the last line in Genesis 2 is kind of unusual. It, like, it says, you know, blah, 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 uh, man shall leave his father and mother, blah, 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 two shall become one. The man and his wife were both naked and yet felt no shame. So... Um, in his general audience on January 2nd, 1980, John Paul II says, seeing each other reciprocally through the very mystery of creation, the man and the woman see each other still more fully and clearly than through the sense of their sight itself. They see and know each other with all the peace of the interior gaze. They see each other with the peace of the interior gaze. That is, that is a beautiful poetic line. Isn't it? Well, John Paul II was a poet. Um, he says and that he was even aware of the fact. He he even knew it. Yes, 
Um, that piece of the interior gaze which creates precisely the fullness of the intimacy of persons. So, uh, notice what he's saying here is that it's like, oh, it was the just the very just very seeing each other created the fullness of the intimacy of persons. You think it would be the consummation of their primordial sacrament, uh, but just with their original innocence, which we're not talking about today. Original innocence is another uh, original state of being that they had. It just allowed them to have this intimacy simply by you know, their nakedness. And in this case, nakedness doesn't, it's not just the fact that they didn't have clothes on. Their original nakedness was only possible because they had original um, innocence, okay? Mm-hmm. This I, the way of standing before each other, totally re- like revealing themselves. Right. I'm not hiding myself. I'm not putting on faces. Right. Um, I'm not de- like defending myself. I, right. Like, I'm not defending myself. There was nothing to defend from. Right. Because, uh, you know, this is still in the pre-fall, right? But this just original nakedness would have been a not only a total knowing of the other person, but a total revealing of myself to you, and a you're t- and a total revealing of yourself to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna have to keep talking about this. We've got a few more things to say, and I also want to. Do some speculation. Ooh, I like speculative theology. Uh, one of my, my favorite. favorite. <laughs> yeah, because you can't prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so we are we've run out of time on the radio. If you go check us out on thecatholicmanshow.com or check us out on any podcast available, you can check out this episode as well as three hundred plus episodes that we've done over the last six years. Support us on patreon.com. You can get a lot of really cool free gifts like Catholic Mancho, Glee, Karen, Glass, and Beer, Glass, Beer Stein. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. I sounded terrible there. You are terrible, Adam. You're terrible. It's okay. I'll edit it out. No one will ever know. Okay. So we're still talking about original nakedness. Okay. Just to be authentic, you guys uh, on the podcast can't tell, but Adam and I are both completely naked. Right <laughs> we just wanted to be legit. We thought it was weird that Jim decided to Jim join has in. All his clothes. <laughs> Jim has all his clothes on like an idiot. <laughs> you look ridiculous with your pink shirt. Oh. Anyway, that's obviously not true. He actually looks pretty good with his pink shirt on. <laughs> Oh, it's Salmon. Very good. Okay, so um, there's just a few other things I wanted to say about this original nakedness. Um, to me, when you you know you think about Adam seeing Eve and saying, "At last, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, my flesh," it reminds me of God in the prior creation account after He creates man, beholding His creation and saying, "Behold, it is very good." Right after he looks at the at what he's created in man, he says it's very good, and I feel like that's kind of what Adam is saying here, when he beholds his his bride Eve. Um, so I think that there's once again just more, there's so many overlaps between creator and creature, the creator and the created. Um, the fact that we are made in God's image, you see Adam doing so many things, and behaving in a way that. Christ is to us, right? Um, and so, behold, it is very good. I feel like that's kind of what Adam, Adam is saying. At last, this one bone of my bone it is so good. You know, he's so excited. He saw all the other animals, and they were fine. They were good, but they weren't very good. You know what I mean? The giraffe got close. <laughs> yeah. 
You know what? The giraffes, the giraffe made me laugh. All right. I did enjoy the giraffe. But once again, right. not much of a conversationalist, that giraffe. I mean, I'm going to keep one around, you know? Anyway. Um, uh, so I kind of talked about some of this. Um, think about this. Okay. And this is us too. That once again, because of, you know, and it's, I think it's easier to think about in this original state of purity, original innocence with this original nakedness. But when uh, Adam and Eve give themselves to each other, they're not just giving their bodies to each other. They're giving their souls, okay? Because everything you do with your body, you do with your soul. You cannot separate those two things. If you do, you're dead. You're right. Good point, Adam. But everything that you do with your body, you do with your soul. So um, this is why the church has rightly reserved the sexual embrace uh, for marriage and has been a staunch defender of the sacrament of marriage being the only place in which the sexual nuptial union can take place. Um, because you, freely, faithfully, and fruitfully. It needs to be both free, faithful, and fruitful. Um, ordered, ordered towards those things. It mm-hmm. needs to be ordered towards fruitfulness anyway. Mm-hmm. It will be, but not always physically. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you give your body to to someone, you give your whole person to them. You give your soul. So it's not just, oh, these bodies being together. It's two souls doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just very profound. Once again, I think that's another example of, oh, I never really thought about it that way before. You know, that's, yeah, of course, of course that's happening. But um, like, there's just so much going on. I mean, think about the sexual embrace being so uh, like creative, right? If you were to have gone back like 300 generations or so, uh, the statistics if and remove one one sexual union from 300 years, 300 generations ago, very likely, no one, no one would, no one in the world who exists today would exist. There would be, there would be other people, right? But it wouldn't be any of us. Just the, the 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 very power of the sexual union in the plan of God. By contrast, instead of removing a sexual union, what if you introduced one contracepted union three hundred generations ago? Mm. Think about the consequences. Because And think about the consequences today. Right, exactly. We're doing it today. What mm-hmm. if they were doing it three hundred generations ago? Um because you know the the the, they've done the math. The person on the planet who is the least related to you is at the most distant your 52nd cousin. I thought, yeah, yeah, 52nd. Yep. So there is no one who is less related. I mean, that's as far as it gets. Um, not that far, you know, when you think about the people you've never met on the other side of the world. Um, so we're all, you know, like pretty related. I- anyway, it's just the kind of the cosmic consequences are a little bit mind-blowing when you really like start to think about them. It's like uh, the effect that you have, like there's no personal sin. Right. We're all swimming in the same pool. Please stop peeing in it. <laughs> Am I right? I agree. Like, 
You can't get the only way to get out of the pool is to die. Right. <laughs> and I do want to actually get out of the pool because there's a better pool, but uh, there's a hot tub. There's a hot Wait, tub yeah. <laughs> waiting for us. Exactly. Um, so, the Catholic Man Show, where we equate heaven to a hot tub. So, like, I think I want to end with this quote from John Paul II because I think this is where it brings it to today. It brings it like, okay, what does it all mean for me? Okay. Um, like when you look at this, you realize that the human person has the capacity of expressing love, that love precisely in which the person becomes a gift by means of this and by means of this gift fulfills the very meaning of his being and existence. That's the point of everything. You are made, your, your existence is so that you would make a gift of yourself. And this is especially pronounced and obvious for men. As the keeper of the gift of life, you know, we are, we are the giver of the gift in the relationship, you know, in the, the human relationship. So especially for men, we are made to be givers. This is true no matter what relationship you're thinking of whether it's between you and your children it's obvious between you and your wife but between you know with your boss with your coworker with your neighbor with absolutely everybody with your priest you are made to be a giver of yourself your body especially for men is made to give you're made for work you're made for hard things. You are not made for comfort. Right? So, th- this is your vocation. Every man is called to this vocation of giving. That we are, by our bodies, made to give ourselves away. With whether, and with our bodies, right? To use our bodies in such a way to become gifts to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just if you're not doing that with every relationship, then there's a deficiency. It's a you are disordering the relationship there. Yeah, and this is what Christ says, right? He he says, "No greater love is this than a man laid laid down his life mm-hmm. for for his friend." Right? This is what Christian charity is all about: is willing the good of the other, is is denying yourself for the sake of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is when Christ. Uh, fulfills this this revelation of this is what we're supposed to be doing is denying ourselves for the other. That's exactly giving right. ourselves yeah. a complete gift. So um, and, and, and it's tough. You cannot give a good. You cannot give yourself as a gift when you are you know in the state of of mortal sin. Right. When you're holding mm-hmm. back. When you're not giving yourself completely to to Christ. It's impossible to give yourself completely to somebody else. This is exactly the. The big problem with contraception. I thought you said you were, we weren't going to get into this. Well, you brought it up, so like, I mean, it's, that's a good launching point for it, right? I'm, a, that, I'm, all, I'm all in. I think it's important to talk about. With contraception, you withhold part of yourself. Right. You would never say, all right, I'll have sex with you as long as you get a nose job. You know, that's obviously not going to go over well, is it, guys? Mm-mm. But what if you, I mean, that's exactly what you're saying when it's like, oh, I'll only have sex with you if you contracept. I'll only have contracept. 
I'll only have sex with you if you keep that part of you away from me. So I heard one time Chris, Chris Christopher West talking about this very thing, uh-huh. and he was he, he gave he was telling an audience this at the end of his talk. A guy came up to him, furious with him, and said, "How dare you tell me where I have to put my sperm in order to love my wife?" He said, "How dare you do that?" Just because, regardless of where I put my sperm, does not does not dictate where I like how much I love my wife. And he said he didn't say this, but he said in his mind he was thinking like, uh, actually it does. Why don't you ask him about putting your sperm in uh, your neighbor's wife? Yeah, like uh, that does actually tell uh, tell your wife how much you love her. Mm-hmm. You know, like it actually does matter. It does. Um, uh, because uh, do it somewhere else. And then tell me your wife doesn't, you know, that doesn't make a big difference in, or impact in your uh, marriage. Mm-hmm. Also, it's very interesting when uh, somebody is like, I've heard, you know, um, from Christopher West, like these, these, he, he, he does all of these studies and all, you know, talks about all these things. And he talks, he's, the, he's the main guy when right. it comes to theology of the body. Right. I mean, obviously, we've talked to all the John other, the second was the main we've guy. We've talked to all the, all the theology of the body guys. They've all said Christopher West is the guy. He is the guy. Right. So, uh, you know, it's it's like if you are having him, you, you know, coming together with your wife and you you you, you know for a fact she's not fertile. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you come together with her. Um, or I, I'm sorry, you know she is fertile mm-hmm. and you've been contracepting and then you decide not to that time. Tell me it's not different. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, I've heard that. Oh, it. Having sex with contraception is the same. Okay, well, tell your wife not to take her pill tonight and have sex. You tell me it's not. You tell me it's the same. Right. Right. Because it's not. Right. I, I mean, a contracepted union is simply not giving. You're not receiving the person. You're receiving only the parts of the person that you want. Right. Um, but... Which is very reflective, like what, what I was just saying earlier, is that you cannot sacrifice yourself. You cannot give yourself to the other. You cannot will the good of the other fully and completely mm-hmm. without uh, giving yourself fully and completely. That's right. So, um, Which is uh, much if, harder than, than what, it, you know, like in that realm. It really will. The theology of the body will really change your life. Um, you don't have to become an expert in it, but even just... But you should. Um, I mean, it's something. It's a uh, something worthy of pursuit. Jim in study. Jim, okay. Uh, but <laughs> we're just kidding. We just like to make fun of Jim <laughs> at random moments. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I can't recommend Christopher West's work. Basically, any of his talks. Uh, he did. A, okay, so what are you, what are your thoughts on the criticism of uh, Christopher West? Always like implementing the theology of the body into too many things. Um, have you heard this criticism? I have heard. I have heard s- n- not properly. I haven't actually heard the like actually what somebody with a real critique on him has to say. I've heard that there are criticisms. That's all I know of. Um, I have listened to a lot of Christopher West, and I think he is um, fantastic. Full stop. I, mean, the, I have zero critique on anything. Um, I think. Th- what I've heard is that, oh, he over-sexualizes things. But I think that those are just people who aren't comfortable with his message mm-hmm. um, trying to come up with... Do you think that reveals more of them? I think it does. Um, and look, I don't know him personally. I'm sure that there are... I'm sure he's a sinner just like the rest of us and that there are some critiques you could level against the guy, okay? 
I mean, if, if you knew him, it's just the nature of getting behind a microphone. You can always okay, anybody right. who, you, you you throw yourself behind a microphone or up on a stage, you can always critique somebody. But the work that he's he has done, in my opinion, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I, I don't disagree. For the record, is that, is I, that what you think too? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not I don't want to speak for you. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm not disagreeing. I just wanted to bring that up because I know that was a that's a thing. And so, so I just wanted, you know, like, let's so talk about he, it. So he did like a 10 CD talk, like in the early 2000s. Fantastic. Um, it changed uh, your life. It did. Uh, so, you know what? I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I wanted to bring this up. My parents, when it came out, started listening to it. But I now know that they did it on purpose when, like, us kids were in the car. They could have, you They're know, so like sneaky. they could have been listening to it on their, like my dad could have listened to it on the commute, but he waited till he picked us up from basketball practice, you know, or mm-hmm. to like listen to it. And I remember being a, you know, like a seventh grader and listening to these theology of the body talks and being really lit on fire about it, you know, that like, wow, this is incredible. Um, it was something I'd never heard before. And I think as fathers, it's something that we really must it has to be something that we teach our sons especially, but all of our children. I mean, I think that if your child has hit puberty, it's time to start. I mean, at least. At least. Yeah. And there should be, there should be like, there are introductory ways to, oh, there's, know, to there's talk about these like things. Theology, the body tons of stuff. And yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, tons. But like, once they hit puberty, it's time for the full, the full, full thing, on. the full yeah. money. You know what I mean? Because, look, they're... A child who's hit puberty is going to acquire a certain knowledge biologically, right? right. Okay, they're going to start to desire things. They're going to figure things out. They're going to know things. Right. And so if you don't give them the truth behind these questions, mm-hmm. then things are going to go poorly, right? You know? Um, and so I just know from my own experience as a sixth, seventh grader listening to but, but the theology of the body, it was incredible. But not only that, Dave. Obviously, that was the the foundation for you, but I remember when we were living together, um, and you we were both in in the process of reversion uh-huh. back to our faith, uh, both of us just in filth of mortal sin, mm-hmm. uh, but we were you know trying to uh, critique each other and just the way of life and like what does it mean and what does our faith life mean, and you handed me ten CDs that you burned. He said, of Chris Royce said, you need to listen to these. Mm. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's because, like you said, like these 10 CDs have changed my life and you need to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And that was before we let, read uh, JP2's Wednesday Audiences. Yeah. Um, that was uh, after, obviously, your seventh grade listening. I mean, this was like, it had such an impact on you early that in your reversion, you reverted back to some of these things that you those seeds were planted Mm -hmm. and it changed your life. You know, I think it was really the theology of the body. I've mentioned this before that in my relationships, uh, you know, through college, I always, every single one, I wanted and pursued chastity, but I was usually the only one who thought it was like worth pursuing. Right. And Mm -hmm. so whenever I was, had a moment of weakness, there was a moment of weakness. Right. Um, I think it was the theology of the body, listening to that as a child, being exposed to it, and coming to like know the beauty and truth of that message that made me even care about pursuing that at all. 
I think because it was it was a- only that that kept me from totally abandoning hmm. that moral principle in my life. Hmm. Because um, when presented well, the theology of the body is so beautiful because it rings true at the foundational level of you, of your being. Right? It's like God gave you these like. Uh, nuclear-powered jets or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that fuels who you are. You know, the like the greatest physical desire you have, and this is true among all the animals, is like to to find a mate. Um, and so, if that desire is not ordered properly, it, you know, your whole person will collapse on itself, and then you'll start to wonder, who am I? What does it like? It's no wonder that people are asking themselves questions about uh, what is it? I mean, oh, maybe I'm trans. Maybe I mean, I'm a, trapped in a body. Whatever. I mean, if if you don't get those things ordered properly, then things are going to go haywire, and it it's going to be crazy. I mean, right. it, there's no there's no end to how terrible it could be. Oh, you could might think, yes. Oh, I'm supposed to be an amputee. Someone needs like I. Inside, I know I'm an amputee, and I'm trapped in this healthy body. Please, I'm looking for a doctor to cut my arm off. Mm-hmm. Um, Which are, that's a real, real thing. thing. That is a real thing. Sadly. Um, so, this is, this is the thing that we have to know. Once again, the greatest question a man can ask himself is, what does it mean to be a man? Okay, and this is, a, this is not a, a natural question. It's a spiritual question, too. It's both. That... Well, okay, a man is this. I'm a creature of God made me this way. He gave me this this body because I am a man at my core, right? The spirit animates the body. If I wasn't a man, I wouldn't have a man's body, right? If I was a woman, my body would be animated in such a way that a, as a woman is. Right. Um, and so it's just something we got we to gotta start introducing. There. And like you said, there are tons of resources for young kids all kinds of stuff christopher west though i just recommend for for you personally like go and listen to his talks um i don't know if you can still get the the 10 cd set it's my favorite i know he he made like a shorter version but the old version is where it's at man um so hopefully somebody uh maybe maybe someone if if it's still available somewhere someone will send it to us and we can we can share it on facebook or something Oh, they're for sale on eBay. I actually have it on my Google Drive. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to share it with everybody or not, but I've got all... all You're not. You're I'm not. pretty sure I'm not. You're not. It's for sale, so like you can buy it. Well, that's on eBay. Anyway, we'll figure it out. So I want to get to the bonus content. Okay. Speculative theology. How far are we in? We're far. I'm okay with it. I have nothing else to do this evening. Yeah. So, I mean, we can go, we can go as long as you want. We're an hour, well, we're just over an hour and we're an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, that's okay. We're, this is fine. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. So, um we've speculated on this before, but we'll continue to speculate. Okay. In the fall, right? So God creates Adam and Eve. They're like, "Oh, great. We love each other." Um God, you know, if you if you put together both the creation accounts, then, you know, God looks at Adam and Eve and in the, the first commandment he gives to Adam and Eve is go be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
this call to nuptial love is something, it's part of our vocation. It's something God wants us to do. I also want to, before we get to the, the fall, I also want to speculate that this is this is a hundred percent David Niles. This is not anybody else other than me. The and church so, is the church is saying the church is basically the church saying it yeah. because I'm saying it. But there is, I think, somewhat of a sacrament in the nuptial union. Okay, so sex itself between married between married persons is sacramental. Uh, we know that love covers a multitude of sins. I personally, and me alone, am speculating. Well, you don't know if it's you alone. Well, I, I'm not doing it for anybody else. I'm just like representing my own opinion right yeah. now. Yeah. That when the marital embrace is embraced the right way as a gift of self, as a freely, as as not, I'm not like fruitfully. Oh, I'm not looking to. I'm just not looking to get pleasure out of this. But I'm I'm really wanting to give myself to my spouse out of love for her, or him, if you're a woman. Just gonna, <laughs> for your spouse, uh, that it it very well may have the possibility of forgiving venial sin. An act that act of of vocational marital love. Just like reception of the Holy Commun- of Holy Communion, not just like it, but similar, s- similar to the way reception of Holy Communion or reception of other sacraments also forgives your more, your venial sins. I, my personal speculation is that so does the marital embrace, when done the right way. So anyway, you want to lead off on the uh, fall, the fall of man. No, I'll let you. Do it. I mean, you've been doing it. You've been you've been okay. going. So in the fall, of, in the fall. I mean, I know where you're going, but yeah. I'll let you do it. Okay. Um, you know, God says you can eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree of the fruit of the, uh, the knowledge of good and evil. Also, once again, we have the word knowledge here. Same knowledge. Okay, so... Knowing. Right, so it's not just about... So there's like a sexual component right away. Um, not that that word knowledge means sex. It actually doesn't. Right. But it means this deep intimacy that sex... Eros. Eros, that sex also involves, right? So there's at least overlap here. Um, the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and once again, in the tree, if you, like, it's easy to overlook, but the tree of life is also right next to the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. These are the two trees in the middle of the garden, almost as if they're the most prominent, most beautiful. And God says you could eat from the tree of life. The tree of life is right there. They can eat from that if they wanted to, but the you know the, of course the serpent tempts them and they fall. But you know it's not that I think eating the apple was it. A, well, first of all, it doesn't even say it's an apple. It says it's a fruit. fruit. Um, did likely, they did likely they, a fig? Did they literally eat a fruit, or is this uh, a symbolic story conveying a deeper truth? You know, I think that's very likely. About, you know, deacon garlic. There's multiple ways of reading scripture, right? If you want to, I mean, then the church says if you want to take this story 100 percent literally, that you're free to do so, and that's that's fine. Um, the literal, the literal sense. Um, but I think it's pr- it's probably a figurative story since it is written in a poetic language. Um, so, what do they do? It seems to me that the original sin was, in fact, some sort of sexual, of a sexual nature. Because what do they do? immediately after they eat from the fruit, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, mm-hmm. they cover their sexual parts, their sexual mm-hmm. organs, mm-hmm. okay? 
Um, these are, now, you could say, well, maybe they're doing that because these are parts, once again, back to our original nakedness, these are parts of them that reveal the person in a very, in a very intimate way. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so maybe they're just guarding their personhood from the other. Okay? Maybe they, once again, we no longer have this original trust the original unity has been shattered, and so now there is this introduced this hermeneutic of suspicion into the relationship. Okay, well, the face also reveals the person, and they don't cover their face. Right. The face reveals the person, like, in a very real way. They don't cover... So they're not covering the parts of them that reveal their person. Mm-hmm. They're they're covering the parts of them that reveal their their sexuality. Um, this is actually um, from John Paul II's Wednesday audiences. This is a quote. He says, "The difference of the male sex and the female sex was suddenly felt." He's talking about the fall and understood as an element of mutual frustration, or I'm sorry, mutual confrontation. So even even John Paul II seems to say seems to point out that yes their maleness and their femaleness all of a sudden became a confrontation so that is uh my personal speculation that the original sin had something to do with this total gift of self that instead of uh making a gift of oneself that they sought to use each other Hmm. for their own personal, you know, in some way. So it'd be, you could say that's lustful. Uh, I, d- I wouldn't say that it's like, oh, it was just like straight-up sexual sin. But I think it, it's hard, would be almost impossible for us to understand the the sin because, the, once again, these people had this original innocence. They walked with God, right? They had this perfect, perfect union, or a more perfect union anyway, with God and with each other. So the sin could have been very minute, could have been a very small sin, but there's no sin in heaven, right? I mean, a, even Correct. the tiniest sin in heaven, I mean, it just couldn't stand, right? It, it, it's not possible, so it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't even have had to have been a mortal sin. Any sin at all would have ruptured this type of original innocence that they had. So, um, that's just my, you know, my personal speculation. I'm not alone in speculating no. that, but that's my camp. It's really my camp. I think it's your camp. No. It's not your camp? No. Okay. What's your camp? I'm down. Um, I, I see that camp. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not opposed to that camp. I'm not saying like, there's no way that... that sure. That, because um, I, I actually initially was very intrigued by it and, and actually kind of fell into that... Or, or like, uh, I was joined to that camp. Uh-huh. Um, and, I, and I'm not opposed to that idea at all i but i just don't uh, my camp is more of just the sin of pride okay that it was more of like uh no i know i know better i'm going to do this certainly yeah i mean i think that's Um, that's inevitable i mean that's because the fact that the story is god said don't eat of this fruit right whatever the sin was was the sin of pride god had already specifically told them Right. Don't do this. So I think I think that And so it is prideful for them to have to said do it. Right. So I think that is the sin. I don't think that it was a sexual sin that caused it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I think it was Christ said or 
our Lord, yes, God said, don't eat this. And then they said they were, uh, they were, uh, coac or, or not co- like the coerced by the devil, uh-huh. um, or, or, you know, they were convinced by the devil, um, to do this. Yeah. And they said, yes, I'm going to do this. So, I mean, there's no way, I don't think you can, you can refute that. Obviously, it was prideful because all sin is pride. Right. Okay. So you, you, I like to make arguments, though, that you can't refute. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I think the, the question that I would say is, yes, obviously, it was pride at a basic level. But I think it was that act. I don't think it was an act of, uh, but what I would say, my, my speculation is that it was pride in a sexual direction. See, I don't. Okay. I don't like, I think it was like, no, I think it was, uh, like our Lord said, don't eat this. So what do you think accounts for? I mean, you don't have to, they actually don't have to make an account for why they're covering their sexual organs afterwards. Well, because right? I but, think you also are re, like at that point, they were also revealed a lot more. Like at that point they were realized like their falling nature. And so, once the floodgate open, like you know, once the gate is open, uh-huh. then everything else falls into place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, uh, this and this and this are all sins as well. Like sure. I can, I you know, you know, sin makes you stupid, and so so stupid. And what once you sin once, then you know, that leads you down a trail of of stupidity. Um, so it's a long trail too. Yeah, it can go for so. You think long. like, you think like. He couldn't get any dumber. And then you realize then that you were wrong. Can, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm also very open to being like convinced that's not the case. But just, well, there's no way. You, I mean, nobody knows. This is like why I like speculative theology. Because right, right. But I'm o- open to the idea of like me being wrong on this. It doesn't. And at the end of the day, this certainly this particular thing doesn't even matter. Well, what matters is we understand that there was original sin. That, Correct. That that, that uh, God said, "Don't do this." Adam and Eve did this, and thus they were n- right. You know, original sin entered into this world. You're right. That part really does matter. Right. So, um, so that goes back to what we were talking about just a little bit ago about, about like the critiques of you know Christopher West of sexualizing everything. You know, I and I think they use this as an, an ex- as an example of saying like. Uh, see, he's really forcing this idea, this theology, into a, a narrative that. Yeah, but I'm I'm fairly certain that that idea predates Christopher West by hundreds of years. Oh yeah, maybe I don't know. I I I, I don't know either. I'm not but a scholar or or biblical. I don't think Christopher or, West came up with the idea that it was a the original sin may have been of a sexual nature. I'm sure he did not. No, yeah. I'm just saying. Um, that is one critique that I've heard. Yeah. I'm not saying it's my critique. I'm not. You would never do that. I'm not. I'm not in the business of critiquing Christopher West. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, me too. So I'm not in the interest of, uh, of uh, critiquing him. But I'm not also in the camp of that the first sin was a sexual one. All right. Just like I'm not in the camp of uh, the thorn in Paul's side was a sexual sin. I'm not in that camp. Either. I don't have a camp on that, but I don't think it was a sexual sin. I don't. I mean, like, based on his writings, it does not seem like that was his that was his hangout. Right. Um, I've had a priest tell me in confession it was, um, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that's. 
Yeah. Interesting. And I, I've also heard that, oh, he was gay. That was it. Like, you know. Oh, I, I had not heard that. Yeah. One. Oh, well, I think that's more of a modern uh, interpretation on Shocker. the th- yeah on the thorn in the side, but yeah. um, but uh, I'm not in that camp either. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I'm in. I don't think I'm in that camp. But once again, it's not important. Like even calling it camps makes it seem like more important than it really is. You know, it doesn't actually matter. The like you said, the point is that there was an original sin. Mm-hmm. The theology of the body is great. Uh, By understanding it, you are able to understand who you are better, which helps you to understand uh, who your spouse is better, which helps you understand how to love them more, which ultimately uh, helps you understand how to love uh, the triune God more, mm-hmm. which ultimately helps you have communion with him and all of the saints uh, in heaven forever. Right. I mean, it does, it absolutely impacts every level of the faith. When you receive Christ's body, when you understand the significance of your body, the fact that he took on a body. Right. Uh, I mean, just go, if you don't, if you haven't, look into it. Hi, this is Bishop David Condorla of the Diocese of Tulsa in Oklahoma. So let us pray. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy Hear and answer me. Amen.